Hello, everybody. Welcome into Hockey Mountain. How you go to Avalanche Podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here of Mile High Sports. Arif Dean here as well of Mile High Sports as well. And Peter Ball of The Athletic joining us to get into round one of the Avalanche first round series with the Seattle Kraken. Right. Very exciting times. Time for everybody to wake up as Joe Sackick, you know, has been known to say, wake me up when the playoffs start. Well, it's here. We can all wake up now. Um, guys, thanks thanks for hanging out with us, first of all. Um, secondly, we, we were all three of us came from uh, an optional practice today, right? And we saw a couple guys on the ice, namely uh, Andrew Cogliano, Dennis Morgan, Josh Manson. All the guys were there that we've been waiting to see back. So I guess I wanted to start with the health of this team and how, again, for the second year in a row, everybody seems to be coming back at the right time. This year, however, to me, it feels like there's a little bit more I guess force forced play here, right? They're they're playing out of their comfort zone a little bit more injurious than normal. So I guess sorry for ranting for that long. You guys can go ahead and put in your two cents. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is a, a a more healthy team than it's been for most of this year. It seems like Kale McCarr is going to be back. It seems like Josh Manson's going to be back. That that was both the plan for both of them. And then Cogliano and Malgan looked ready to go. Albeit maybe a little banged up, especially in Cogliano's case. Um, and we'll see how they look. Darren Helm, still a bit of a question mark. Obviously, Gabriel Landeskog's out for the playoffs. I think the big thing is, is the biggest difference I see from last year's team and this year's team is just, especially with Landeskog out, this team really can't afford to take another injury to one of its more serious contributors. Um, just because it, if you look at like the the roster they're going to be icing it's going to be tough to to replace uh Miko Rantanen or someone like that it's it's just they don't have the the depth scoring that they were able to plug in last year like for example last year Miko Rantanen was sick at the start of the playoffs um wasn't himself wasn't looking too good but it was fine because they had so many other guys Nazem Kadri got hurt in the third round it was fine because they had other guys Andre Burkowski got hurt it was fine because they had other guys. Cogliano was hurt at points. Like they, they just had the guys to endure the injuries, and this year they don't. So I think they're going to need a little bit more luck and staying healthy this year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's 100% the case because when you look at guys like Darren Helm, who <laughs> if or when he comes back, he's going to be playing hurt. Like he's been playing hurt all year. I, I don't remember if you were on the show when, we, when he mentioned it, Jay, uh, Peter, but JJ had asked Darren when he came back the second time, month ago or whatever he said how is your body feeling and darren went from answering questions right away to like he paused and then he like <laughs> giggled and then he answered the question kind of pretty much to say like hurting so i do agree in that sense that it looks like a lot of guys are going to be playing a little bit more forced with those injuries a little bit more pain and you know that's just what comes with number one not just an 82 game season grind but two years in a row of you know trying to make another long run which is again what makes tampa bay all the more impressive uh, but I wholeheartedly agree. Like right now, if you have a fully healthy lineup and obviously that does not include Gabriel Landeskog because we know he's not coming back, but if you have a fully healthy lineup, uh, you have what one extra forward before you reach Ben Myers or is it two? So it's not much room. And how many of those guys do you trust in the top six? Because right now, let's say hypothetically, it's Rodriguez with Miko and Nate and then Val and Lekkanen playing on the flanks of JT Comfer. Well, then your third line is what? Malgin, Eller, and Newhook. So how many of those guys do you trust putting in the top six? Probably only Newhook at this point. You have seen Malgin there before, but it's probably only Newhook. And last year, Newhook was playing with Burakovsky and Comfer Two guys that not only were you comfortable using in the top six, but you used them in the top six at times and were successful at that. So now you're kind of down to one guy just kind of waiting in the wings. Um, so it, it is a little bit different. The blue line's the same as it was last year. Goaltending, you could argue, is better because, again, unless Georgiev takes a stick to the eye in game three, it looks like he's going to be a little bit more healthier than Kemper was last year as long as mm-hmm. nothing else arises. But that forward group is looking a little bit different. You have the, the the weapons to make it, you know, to to go far. You have the weapons to win playoff rounds. Uh, you have, like you said, a not sick and feeling well and playing well. Miko Rantanen, the guy that had five goals all of the playoffs last year, two of them on empty nets. He might score five goals in this round alone. So 
uh, it is looking a little bit different and, and the injuries are going to be, are going to have to be very far and few, especially to key guys. Yeah. I mean, it feels like they're definitely going to have to play a different style this year than they did in last year's playoffs. Right. I mean, still very defensively sound. Like you said, the, the health of the defensemen are there. I mean, I saw Josh Manson today. He looks a okay to me. I mean, his, his mobility was top notch and his presence was even better, right? Just bringing a smile, bringing a good energy, but, um, it, yeah, from an offensive standpoint, they're going to have to adjust a little bit. They're going to have to play, to me, a different structure. I mean, of course, they're still going to play their game, so to speak, but it's not going to be as offensively potent. So having that defensive group being healthy and being ready to go, I mean, I think that's really going to be a huge difference maker for the Avalanche heading into round one. Yeah, and I think Arif touched on on Rantanen last year where he was, and I, I mentioned how he was really sick. He wasn't himself coming into the playoffs. And and they could afford to have um, other him kind of maybe take a bit of a back seat in the first couple rounds as he was recovering and, and not contribute as much. This year, they're going to need him and Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCart to be 100% superstars all the time. And it, this team isn't going to go very far if that's not the, what's happening. What's funny is when you think of who could be those breakout players, because last year the breakout guys were guys that were already in your top six, you know, that are not the obvious names, but it was Arturi Lekkinen scoring four game winning goals and the two most important or two of the most important, I should say. It was Val Nachushkin having the playoffs he did. And then if you want to throw in Nazem Kadri for having a good playoffs too, sure. But like those were the guys that broke out. This year it feels like if you're going to have a person have a coming out party like that, it's going to be a defenseman and it's probably going to be Bowen Byram, maybe even Sam Gerrard, because you could argue obviously that Gerrard's playing better this year than he was last year going into the playoffs. And obviously he only lasted seven, eight games or whatever it was in the postseason before the injury last year against St. Louis. But Bowen Byram in terms, you know, he had a coming out party of like for, for his standard, he was great last year in the playoffs. He was unbelievable. He was a big piece, but he had nine assists in 20 games from an offensive production standpoint. You could see him as being the breakout guy, not, you know, a third line or second line forward this time around. Yeah. And maybe this is when Alex Newhook gets going. Like it just takes one guy. going. That, on a that, that is for... one guy. That's that's and one Dennis Malgan. I mean, it, it, you just need guys who can go on a heater for, stretches of time and you yeah. ride the hot hand and that's i mean dennis malgan is like a much less qualified version of andre burakovsky in a way a guy who when he gets hot will will be able to put the puck in the net a bit will create chances but then he might be quiet for stretches of time and i think that it's going to be on bednar to kind of have a pulse on where different guys are at and and who's feeling it and who's going to be able to step up and and that's something he did a really good job with last year of knowing when to plug Andre Burakovsky and when to put him in the top six various things like that um and it's it's going to be interesting to see I, I like that comparison Peter the poor man's Andre Burakovsky's Dennis Mulligan but that's you're you're spot on right glimpses of really good offense and not always being able to finish your chances that that's a, an awesome comparison but you brought up Peter the the stars having to carry a lot of the weight right kind of like they've done all year so I don't think there's going to be too much of a difference there um as far as a, a mindset of course playoff hockey is going to make it a little bit more challenging but Kale McCarr I think is the guy we're looking at right when when I guess the unknown when it comes to the stars, we don't know how good of shape he's going to be in, how good of a um, presence he's going to bring. So I guess, what are you guys expecting to see out of, out of KO McCarr kind of jumping back in the lineup, nursing a little bit of an injury and, you know, trying to still be the same KO McCarr we know and love. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, I remember in last year's playoffs when there would be long stretches, like after a sweep, um, Kale wouldn't be his 100% self right away. And we've seen that this year when he's, he's dealt with injury and when he's come back from injury, he, he hasn't been quite as dynamic right away. So there's a bit of a period of time where he needs to kind of ease into it. So I'm, I'm really curious about Makar and how he looks in that regard, because I think it might take him a game or two to get really back to his, his full level of play. Luckily they have a lot of other defensemen who can, who can do a lot. Um, and this will be as healthy as the decor has been since Finland. So yeah, it, it should, should be encouraging in that regard. I think that full level of play, he's going to want to focus a little bit more of it on, on the offensive side of the puck. Cause like you said, there's guys that can handle the defensive uh, matchups or whatever needs to happen, but they're going to have to count on Kale McCarr contributing some, some of those mighty fine assists that he's used to throwing in there. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Arif. 
I, th I think he will. I mean, I, I think it's going to take him a little bit of time to get up to speed to be the Kel McCarr that is, you know, that full force player. But luckily for the Avalanche, I mean, even if Kel McCarr did not play the entire first round, they have the weapons available to beat the Seattle Kraken. So you're hoping that if it takes him a little bit of time to get going, he feels healthy and recharged as the Seattle series winds down if you win it. And obviously, I can't just sit here and pretend it's for sure that the Avalanche are going to advance. But ideally, you want Kel McCarr to be you know, up to speed and, and doing his thing as this series winds down, going into a second round series where it's less of a, mild, a wild card. And we're not having this type of a conversation because Kel McCarr is ready to rock against a good team in the second round as well. Yeah, I guess let's look at the team's current form, right? I mean, the last 19 games or so, they, they had a really strong outing and really 16, strong performance. 16, 2 and 1, real quick. That's that's the number that you hear a lot of for the Edmonton Oilers with Matias Ekholm is 16, 2 and 1. The Avalanche ended the season with the same stretch. Granted, 100%, the Avalanche had an easier schedule. And in the, the, the one OT loss the Avs have are against the Edmonton Oilers in their head to head. But it's pretty crazy to think about it. Like we look at the avalanche and we think, you know, there's a little bit more to be desired in their play late in the season. And then you look at the numbers and they're 16, two and one. And it's like, you can only play the schedule ahead of you. So I guess maybe you should have gone 17, one and one. Like it's really, it's really hard to gauge them off of that schedule. So I guess, which theory do you guys subscribe to? Do you think that there's momentum that can certainly be carried over from regular season to playoff hockey or, or is it a fresh slate here and doesn't matter what they've done in the last month or so it's it's all out the window come tomorrow or come tuesday night i don't know if it matters a ton but i do think that you want to be going into the playoffs playing well you don't necessarily i mean the abs last year kind of didn't go into the playoffs playing well I one, think one of like six one, one of, of six seven. yeah and Something. and but they had one game against st louis where they came out and took care of business and kind of reminded themselves okay we're good we can take care of business when the, the games actually matter so I think that this year's team obviously didn't have the luxury of kind of coasting into the first round like last year's team, but I think it is a team that uh, I'm sure it benefits them knowing that they can pull out wins and, and they have kind of some of that experience of pulling out wins that they've been able to do the last last few games. Yeah, and it's really like funny to look at it in the sense where they won the Central Division by one point and they did not have the tiebreaker. So there was very little room, no room, actually, no room for error. One fewer point in the standings and you're not first place in the central. So 16, two and one, 37 and four in their last 41. Like they hit the points that they needed on the nose to get that number one seed. So maybe the level of play doesn't matter. Like Peter was saying, especially given this team won the Stanley Cup last year, winning one of their last six or seven games. I forget which number it was, uh, but this year, playing as hot as you did going into the end is what got you that first round matchup by, you know, avoiding Dallas and Minnesota and getting the Kraken instead. So they 100% feel good about that. They feel good that they had a goal in mind. You know, maybe they kind of had like an outside chance of a goal in mind to win the, the Western Conference in general, but they had a goal in mind to get that number one seed. They rolled together a bunch of wins like a week ago today, we were watching them kind of blow a game to Anaheim and it was four to two in the third period or whatever. And then they came on and they turned it up and they, they won that game. And again, like very little room for error. They hit the point number right on the nose. And I, I bet they're feeling good about that going into the playoffs. Yeah. I think it is super important for this year to kind of have that momentum because I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I, I've noticed this team, not that they lack self-confidence, but they're definitely less self-confident than, I guess last year and there's a little bit uh, more fragility, I guess, in, in, in terms of their mindset. So having this last stretch of games, I think is going to be huge, but um, you know, it, it, their mindset and that fragility that I speak of kind of worries me for when adversity does show its face here in the playoffs. Do, do you, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Am I, I, am I crazy? I, I don't know if fragility is the word, but I like that. I, I 100% wholeheartedly love the fact that this team didn't sit there and just shrug their shoulders like, eh, we're the avalanche. We're going to figure it out eventually because we just won the cup. I love that they had that edge of last season no longer matters. I love that they had that edge of, you know, Miko Ranton and thinking to himself, I scored 36 goals and 92 points. Ain't enough. I need to do more. Nathan McKinnon saying I've never hit a hundred points. Uh, you know, I, I only had 13 goals at the all-star break. Ate it up. Ain't not enough. I got to do more. Devon Taves picking up his offense at the end of the year. Just that general thought that they had of, you know, last year's team. This is not last year's team. We have to prove that we can earn it again. I love that they had that mindset because 
if they had the other type of mindset that we're speaking of, it could have maybe been the end of their season. And they certainly sure as hell wouldn't have hit the 50 win mark. Yeah. I don't know if I, I think there's less confidence that leads to more fragility or whatever. I think it's just that this team isn't quite as good as last year's team. So last year's team, if they weren't on their game could still eke out wins against really solid teams. This year's team, if it's not at its best against an LA or a Minnesota, it's probably not going to win it, win that game, or at least if it's not playing at a high level. And whereas last year's team, if, if, if two or three guys weren't, weren't at their best, they had two or three others who would step up. So I think that's more the, the thing than I guess, like a lack of confidence or fragility. Cause I think this team believes that it can, it can go on a run here. I mean, I think you, you listen to Nathan McKinnon doesn't lack self-confidence. Bowen Byram doesn't lack self-confidence. Kale McCarr doesn't lack self-confidence. Like these are confident players who know what they're capable of. Um, there's just less margin for error because of the lack of talent up and down the roster. And I want to plug in a name right now because we've mentioned pretty much every other person in the top nine except for him. This is a guy that was not here last year. Lars Eller is going to be hungry for playoff hockey. Uh, you hope that he has one more run in him and this isn't the end of the road for him in terms of you know his best hockey is behind him. But there's not a lot of players in the NHL that I can confidently say outside of the stars, you know, the Patrick Canes, the Sidney Crosby's, the Taves, the guys that we watch for years and years be part of the best in the West, like Kopitar um, or best in the NHL. But of that next level, like those depth guys, there's not a lot of players that I can confidently say have been huge factors pretty much on every team they played for. And for Lars being Montreal and Washington uh, like him. So that's a guy that you hope, has that next step, does what Cogliano and Darren Helm especially did last year of elevate their game in the playoffs because Lars's version of elevating his game is going to be a better player than what Helm and Cogliano were a year ago when we saw what Darren Helm, you know, the importance of his role, the hits that he was laying out, the two big goals he had, the one against Tampa, maybe not as big a goal in a blowout game, but especially the one against St. Louis. So that's a guy I just, I got to mention him because this is why they acquired him. It's for this time of year. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point about veterans raising their level of play. Because I remember last year, they got Cogliano at the deadline. And I was like, all right, he's okay. He's playing hockey like he's fine. And then the playoffs came around and he was at a different level. You had Darren Helm, who for most of the season, I was just like, he's a guy. He's fine. Playoffs come around. He's yep. at a different level. Eric Johnson last year yeah. took a big jump in the playoffs. So I think you see that sometimes with these veteran guys. And I think the Avs are kind of counting on having that little playoff bump again from some of their veterans and and we'll see if they have it in them because that that's going to be very important yeah i mean this is this has been the talk of the tampa bay lightning for years now they acquire guys and they they get guys and they add guys that are playoff performers and can up the ante in the playoffs and it's that you know that's part of the reason why despite the fact that they're i think 14 points you know, less than the Toronto Maple Leafs in the standings. And despite the fact that they're entering the postseason playing the worst hockey. And I, I do think the Maple Leafs are going to win that series, but it's also like, well, Belmar, Maroon, Corey Perry, even guys that they brought in Tanner Janos hurt, I believe, but even guys like that, like those are guys that you expect to elevate their play in the postseason. We saw it from Nick Paul last year. We saw it from Brandon Hagel. This is the time of the year for players like that to shine. Lars Eller has a reputation of being that kind of guy. So what we've seen so far from him, again, assuming that he's not, I hate to use the word washed, but assuming he's not washed and like the best, his best days are behind him. This is why you got the guy. And if he can play that kind of role and be that type of player, Dennis Malgin and Alex Newhook are going to really enjoy playing with that guy. Assuming that that line stays together. It's going to be absolutely pivotal Pivotal that somebody steps up in that way, whether it's Lars Eller, Alex Newhook, whoever you've named. That entire because, line. Yeah, I mean, we, we know we're expecting playoff Nate to show up, right? And and you know he's going to do his thing. But I'd hate for there to be too much pressure and too much weight on his shoulders to achieve and produce because when that happens, you know, things kind of go awry for him. So somebody's going to have to chip in to make it so that he doesn't feel, Nathan McKinnon doesn't feel like he has to carry all the weight because, you know, like, Everybody knows that there's going to be a little bit of, uh, I guess, slack that needs to be picked up from somebody. And, you know, he's he's taken upon himself to do it, but he can't do it all alone. He just can't. We've seen it in the past. 
Yeah. And what I love about McKinnon is there's there's a lot of examples. I know what you're talking about, JJ. There's a lot of examples where you know the Avalanche are kind of like they're trailing. You looks like the game's out of reach. Like let's say New Year's Eve versus Toronto. And then you keep trotting McKinnon out there and it's like you want him to get the game going, but then he tries to do too much and loses the puck. But the funny thing is, Nate's also the guy that you can rely on, you know, like in the Nashville game on on Friday to come in in the clutch or, hey, let's use an even bigger example of that trailing one nothing to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup final in game six. And then McKinnon scores that game tying goal. So I do agree with you. He's kind of got like both of those levels where sometimes it doesn't go well, but other times it's Nathan McKinnon being just needs you know, a little support. A argu- little yeah, arguably the second best player in the world. And and last year, that little support came from Arturi Lekkinen. It's a guy he might not play with this year. Let's get into goaltending. I think, you know, everybody around Avalanche land has been waiting for this time. What does Alexander Georgiev look like in the playoffs in an Avalanche sweater? Well, now is finally time to answer that question. I mean, we spoke to him today after their optional skate, and boy, is he confident in himself. There's there's somebody who's not lacking any self-confidence, right? And um, I loved his answers. I love his vibe going into this playoffs. He's ready for it, and he's we're, we're going to see the same Alexander Georgiev we've seen all year long. There's no he, question in my mind. He has such a humble way of speaking. But that confidence, it's its the example I've used many, many times back in February when I said, hey, Alex, did you know that you're tied with Igor Shosturkin for third most wins in the NHL? And he looked up from his stall and said, I know. And that's all he said. <laughs> and today he was asked, uh, did you, you know, after going on his long rant, his long answer, long winded answer about like, you know, the team believed in me and they traded for me and it's nice to get an opportunity. The follow up question was. Did you envision this good of a season? And he just said, yeah. And that's it. Like, it's just that guy's confidence. And, you know, he's never started in the playoffs before, I don't believe. Um, But he he was 40, 16, and 6. And what was the big stat that we got about Alex Georgiev when the Avs traded for him? He ended last season 8-1. and So this is like hypothetically a guy that over the last 13 months has gone 48, 17, and 6 with two cup contending teams. He's like licking his chops to get in for the postseason. I'm really curious to see how he does. Not only yeah. did he just say yeah to answer that question, and he, he looked the, the guy who asked it straight in the eyes and just had a dead hand <laughs> face to him. Like, yeah, next question, essentially. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, it's he's, he's interesting because he has answered every single question that people had about him going into this year. Um, and, and except the one that he can't possibly answer until Tuesday, which is how he'll hold up when the games matter most. And I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm really excited to see how he plays. I don't think he's going to be phased by the pressure of the moment. Like this is a guy who, who cares a lot about uh, his performance and who believes a lot in himself. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. And it's also a fun, fun kind of matchup of um, I think I wrote about this, but Philip Grubauer has, has given the abs no reason to regret lack letting him walk in free agency but now he can but now he can really show if he if yeah. he if he can find another you know he's gonna want to show him like here's what here's what you're missing out on like like this is the biggest opportunity he has to kind of find that level that we saw in Colorado that he hasn't been able to to find in Seattle and maybe he'll get there I have my doubts of if I think he'll play fine, but I have my doubts of whether he can maybe raise his level to a Vesna finalist like he was in Colorado, but it's, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I thought it was interesting when we heard uh, Chris McFarland speak today and he kind of dove into how, yeah, there's, there's a lot of analytics. There's way more than just meets the eye when it comes to goalie scouting. Right. So, you know, that they had done their homework. They had the numbers prepared when it was come, when it came time for Philip Grubauer's uh, contract negotiations. And we know how that resulted. And I know the avalanche probably didn't feel that bad about it because they had the data, they had everything to support that decision. And now it really feels like they have the guy that they love. I mean, that's the vibe I got from Chris McFarland today when he was talking about Georgiev. Like, not only did we expect this to be the, the goalie we got, but you know, the, the underlying numbers and the underlying data also support that we, we found our guy. We took a shot and we found him. And the beauty of getting Georgiev when you did, and I'm getting way ahead of myself here because you're not even done year, year one, but with the way the salary cap is going, you finally might be able to keep somebody past 
that initial contract. So, you know, the, the Blackhawks juggled Antti Niemi and, you know, Cristobal Huey was the starter when that year started. And then finally, Corey Crawford won him a cup. And they're like, all right, we can finally sign a guy. And they gave Corey Crawford a longer deal, I think five or six years. So it seems like if Georgiev goes well, the Avalanche, assuming the cap is what it is, in two, three years from now, can finally be like, all right, good. We can give a goalie five or five and a half million rather than let this one walk again and go find somebody else for three. So it's, it seems to be coming at the good time for Georgie and for the Avs. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they just say, hey, <laughs> we're we good great for three years. We're going to go find someone cheaper, yeah. which is what they did with Grubauer, which is what they did when Kemper yeah. left. Like this is a team that has shown in recent years not to want to spend a ton on goaltending. Yeah. And it, it, it's all going to depend. Yeah, exactly. It, it's all going to depend what Georgiev's role is in this. Cause we're talking about the team not being that strong offensively compared to last year, obviously. So where, what's Georgiev's role going to be in that? Is he going to be a guy that you genuinely have to think about putting in a consmite vote? If the avalanche won another cup, or is he going to be like Kemper where they won the cup and the goalie was just the goalie. And looking at, I mean, at least from what we've seen from him this year, he seems like a pretty durable guy, right? So I, I, I can't, unless something freak happens, I'm going to knock on wood while I say this, I don't <laughs> see him being injured for any games. So if that's the case, is there any reason we even see Pavel Francouz in these playoffs? If Gor- if Gorgie plays well and doesn't need what Jared gave him in January, a mental break, then probably not. Yeah, maybe there's one game where he gets lit up a bit and they put Frenzo's in there but I think if he's healthy he's he's your guy yeah it's it's nice to know that you have a goalie that you trotted out there 61 times and you had stretches where 12 13 in a row seven eight nine in a row like back to backs I think on four occasions or was it three occasions where he played both legs of the back to back like the types of things we haven't seen from Avalanche netminders since probably Semyon Varlamov so uh, it's nice. It's nice to know that you can do that. And if he's playing well, then you know, do what teams like Tampa Bay and the New York Rangers are going to do. No, no thought of even playing the backup because the starter's not giving you a reason to. Was there anything else that stood out to you guys from the Chris McFarland interview today that maybe you know you feel that needs to be brought up? I I wish he got into the details of that Georgiev question you're referring you're referencing when he was asked like. Is there, is he kind of, cause he kind of like smiled and, and gave a little chuckle about it. Like, oh yeah, for sure. Like there's more things that we take into and account. I'm not going to get into it. And I was really curious not to obviously know the full method to their madness, but like what types of things do they look into? What did they see from the Rangers to be like, yeah, this dude needs to be a starter somewhere because it doesn't look like a lot of teams were thinking the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think they they definitely have metrics that we don't have access to, like non-public analytics that tell a more complete story about how goalies play. So I'm sure that plays into it. But I thought it was uh, nothing too groundbreaking at the press conference. I thought it was interesting how he kind of said he didn't say he he someone asked him about if the deadline, if Lan, the uncertainty around Landis got kind of hampered what they could do at the deadline. And he, he kind of said no, which I thought was interesting um, because from the outside, it seemed like that did hamper them not knowing when he would be back. That didn't allow them to um, go out and maybe get a, a James Van, James Van Riemsdyk, someone like that. But it, it so I, I thought that was interesting. I think Landis got that whole thing has been such an interesting situation. And I think he, uh, um, I, I think it might have just come down to not liking what was out there at the deadline. Um, plus, probably a little more uncertainty with Landis Gug than he was willing to get into. But I, I, I thought that was an interesting answer, and it's interesting to look back at that period on and if they should have done anything differently. I, I honestly, I kind of agree with him. I, I don't know if there was much more to it. I, I like what you just mentioned at the end. Maybe they just didn't like what was out there. I, mean, I think it's possible. James, I think, James Van Riemsdyk didn't end up getting traded. So what if you acquired James Van Riemsdyk and his $7 million cap hit and for 22 regular season games, he gives you three goals and four assists. Like, are you going to sit there and be like, oh, at least the Avalanche brought in a guy. Like maybe they just didn't think he would, he would be a guy. And he's just an example, obviously. Yeah. He is the one guy that like, if they could have gotten him for cheap and it, 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 and they kind of knowing what they now know about Landis like that is the one that yeah. I think maybe interests me a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think that they, 
I mean, it's pretty clear they didn't want to go all in in terms of spending first-round picks and high prospects, probably because they they knew this t- year's team maybe wasn't what it was last year, and the uncertainty around Landeskog, all that plays into some of that, I think. But I I, I was interested in um in kind of that answer because yeah, maybe maybe they just didn't like what was out there. Yeah, not necessarily at least saying... for the prices that they were going for. Exactly. Yeah, but like. We saw a lot of teams do a lot of cap shenaniganery. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs brought in Ryan O'Reilly and Jake McCabe and Eric Gustafson. They did a lot of things where, you know, they down to the very last day of the regular season were signing goalies to amateur tryouts because of an injury. They ended up having exactly 900 and I want to say $26,000 remaining in cap space and 49 of 50 contracts available because they knew they were going to sign Matthew Nice to a 925K entry-level deal as soon as his season ended. So I do agree. It was an interesting answer, um, but it makes me feel like they just were kind of like, it's it's not worth the headache. Too many hoops to jump through, right? I mean, despite, you know, I guess all those thoughts towards their trade deadline and, and what they did and didn't do, they're still the second highly favored uh, favorited team to win the cup as far as the odds go at a plus 650. So I like that. Plus 275 to win the West. I I think those are two pretty good odds that you can hit. So, of course, baseball is back, and the push for the postseason is on for hockey and hoops. Make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct link to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Plus, you can get up to a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I wonder, is uh, is gambling legal in Washington? Do either of you know? I know, Peter, you have some links to Seattle. Uh, I don't know if it's legal there. Poor guys. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't tell you. It saves it saves the degenerates like you from blowing on their, blowing off all their money. Yeah, that's, that's like, you know, it was frustrating. Last year in Florida, it wasn't legal there, so we'd fly to Florida try to make take some action and we weren't able to so you guys will have to take your action before you fly to seattle i know both of you are going so let's get into seattle the kraken themselves let's get to know the kraken a little bit more peter yesterday you joined the hockey show with ryan and i and you said something that i think you just hit it on the head so hard and that's that the the seattle kraken play a very stubborn style of hockey right i mean they're really tough to penetrate through the neutral zone they're really tough once you do get past them in the neutral zone to go and win those pucks in the corner so that being said is that really the only strength is that going to be their biggest weapon towards stopping the colorado avalanche or do you guys see them in their style having a little bit more i guess layers to it i think their biggest their biggest strength is their forward depth Actually, I think that there they could expose the abs bottom six. I don't know if you want to say deficiencies, but not they aren't as strong as they were last year in the bottom six. And I think the the crack and have some guys who maybe could expose that. I mean, Sprong has had a, a really good year. I think Tanev might be on the fourth line at this point. They, they just have a lot of good forwards up and down their lineup. And I think those are the types of teams that have success in the playoffs. And that's why I wouldn't expect this series to be as much of a, a blowout as as last year's series against Nashville or the year before against St. Louis because this is a really deep team up and down their lineup especially up forward yeah I mean McCann Beniers and Eberly, uh great season 40 goals potential rookie of the year Jordan Eberly bouncing back from a few years but McKinnon Rantanen and whoever they play with are going to outscore that line uh, that's ultimately not a guarantee but it's looking like that's what's going to happen the second line is a little bit of a wash. Morgan Geeky with Wenberg and Schwartz. Do you take Comfer, let's say, Lekin and Nichushkin? Maybe, but wholeheartedly, the the bottom six. Sorry, what were you gonna say? I was gonna. I would split. I might split up McKinnon and Rantanen in this series because of how so? deep. Oh, because because of, of how deep their forward lines are. Um, if if you split up McKinnon and Rantanen, then I think you have a clear edge on both the first and the second line. Yeah, I mean. If you put Comfer and and obviously Jared's going to mess with things if if he needs to, but if you put Comfer with Nachushkin and Lekinen, I think that's a pretty safe bet for a good second line. But nothing wrong with Lekinen and, and Rodriguez, for example, with McKinnon. Like if you Rant- well, he also at the end of last game you had Comfer with Lekinen and Rantanen and McKinnon Nichushkin. with Nachushkin and Rodriguez. 
God, Nachushkin has been such a treat to watch the last month. I feel like he's finally healthier than he's been all year. I don't want to th- say healthy in general. Um, but yeah, the bottom six, that kind of brings me to the point you were making is, you know, can the bottom six or the bottom nine of Seattle's offense offset them probably getting outscored at the top top line um, and the 20 something minutes that that top line and prefer, you know, most notably Nathan McKinnon are going to play is going to be the big question mark because Bjorkstrand, Yanni Gord, and the underrated waiver wire pickup of Ellie Tolvin and have just been awesome. And like you said, Daniel Sprong and Brandon Tanover on the fourth line with Ryan Donato, pretty sure Sprong hit 20 goals, 20 goals as a fourth liner. Like the avalanche don't have that. They barely have 10 goals on the fourth line. So uh, you're putting that up against Logan O'Connor who had, I think nine or eight, Andrew Cagliano, I believe, was around the same number of 10, I want to say. So Seattle certainly does have the depth, and it looks like, you know, if there's something that's going to get them a win, it's it's rolling their four, four lines. And when they roll their four lines, that's what's going to make them successful. It's what's made them successful all year. How about from a defensive standpoint? Because uh, looking at the last three games that they met, the Avalanche failed to score more than two goals in, in any of them. So... Um, I guess from the, the, the defensive group, you know, we spent so long pumping the tires of the Avalanche defensive group. What about Seattle? Do they have real threats to to keep this at bay? Or is a lot of their defense, you know, just simply that clogging of the neutral zone and making it tough for high-flying teams to fly high? You want, Vin- you want, you want to do the Vince Dunn thing? Or yeah, you Vince Dunn has had an awesome year. <laughs> yeah, Vince Dunn has had an awesome year. And he's really – he's going to get Norris votes this year. Like, he's been yeah. exceptional and is a really – big reason of why this team's been resurgent. I think the Alexiak Borgen pairing, like that's a pairing that'll, that'll cause some problems and and be physical and tough and all of the things you want. Um, so, so yeah, I definitely think that they have guys who, who can slow them down. It's not as deep or as prolific as the Avs defensive group, but it's still a good group. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if you ask me to make a prediction on the series, I'm taking the avalanche. But like you said, this isn't going to be the St. Louis Blues of 2021 or the National Predators without UC Soros of 2022. This is going to be a, a far more difficult, a far more difficult series for the avalanche. And, you know, the reality is like winning in the playoffs is hard. It's it's not a guarantee. We talk about last year's team just rolling and 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 being so good the entire way and going 16 and four. But like, think of all the things. I know a lot of things went wrong and could have gone wrong with Kadri's injury, Kemper's eye. But think of all the things that went right for the Avalanche last year too. Like, look at it from that lens. The wild card race heading into the final week of the season was Nashville and Dallas. And the Avalanche ended up drawing the Nashville Predators. Dallas Stars beat them and got the first wild card seed. And then in that same run, UC Soros gets injured. So instead of facing Jake Ottinger, who had 55 saves in a game seven overtime loss in the first round last year, 60 60 saves. saves, That's what it was in a game seven overtime loss last year. uh, He and they ended up with the national predators and an injured goalie. So that was just the first round in general. Like the Dallas stars went the distance last year in their series against Calgary and, and very much could have done the same thing against the avalanche with Jake Ottinger playing the way he was. So it's, it's hard to win the playoffs. And, you know, that's not the similar example as Seattle. Cause we're not talking about, you know, maybe he does, but we're not talking about Philip Grubauer doing that uh, or being a goalie like Ottinger and sorrows, but Seattle can do the right things to take this team the distance. How about looking at uh, special teams? Because, you know, playoffs come, the whistles tighten up, not so many power play opportunities. But the Avalanche were the sixth best power play percentage in the league. Seattle, the 19th best. Is that discrepancy maybe going to be a little bit of a factor and and make somewhat of a difference? Real quick, I'll let Peter answer that question first. But I just want to address that myth that you just mentioned. Uh, Last year, and this is something that people always say it, and I get why. But last year, the playoffs had more power plays in the regular season. I think, though, I think anecdotally, they go up, up, but there's a lot more that's allowed to happen. It's because players play a far more physical game. So they they still call more penalties, but they let a lot more slide, too, if that makes sense. And I think especially later in series, like if you saw like game six against or game game four and game six of the abs lightning series they were letting a lot go like they they were they were letting a ton so i think you you can look at there certainly are points 
where there's more uh, more leeway and and even if the numbers technically are show power plays grow up, I think I think sometimes there's uh, hesitancy for officials to to call the call all the penalties just because it's big moments and you don't want that deciding it. As for special teams, I, I mean, I, I certainly think it'll be a, a big factor. That was the pa- last year in the cup run. It was such a huge, a huge benefit for the abs um, that both their penalty kill playing well and their power play. I think the it's the abs, the fact that their penalty kill is up to 17th in the league. Obviously that's not good, but considering where it started the year, that's pretty solid. I think they, they kind of rounded into form as the year went along. Um, and that'll be a big, uh, a big, I guess, moment or big, big potential edge, I guess, that they could have if everything goes the way they want it to. Yeah. The, the penalty kill, I like to look at numbers, especially this year. I do this every year, but especially this year, given the turnover, the avalanche had and the guys that they got back from injury. And by turnover, I mean, adding, you know, valuable or not valuable, but good pieces, pieces that can fill out your lineup like Nieto and Jack Johnson and Lars Eller. But February 7th, the day after the All-Star break, is where I like to do what I like to do every year. And since then, the Avalanche have a 82.5% penalty kill, which there are eight teams that are 83 and above. And then 9, 10, 11, and 12 are 82-6, 82-6, 82-5, 82-5. So the Avalanche are sandwiched in those four teams that are all 0.1 away from each other. So... The PK is a heck of a lot better than it was beginning of the year. Made a massive rebound, like you said. Uh, Funny enough, their power play since February 7th, exactly sixth in the NHL, just like it is on the whole season. So uh, special teams in the first round especially could be a big factor. And and for the Avalanche, you need your big guns to show up for that, which they have been. Um, But it's nice to know that they at least also could have some remnants of a second power play unit now with, with the defensemen all playing there and with, you know, all of your guys healthy, lacking in and guys like that. Yeah. I think the other advantage that the avalanche have is, is looking at the goaltending. I know we touched on Grubauer a little bit, but neither of their goalies Grubauer and Martin Jones had above a 900 save percentage throughout the regular season. So I feel the avalanche definitely have a leg up there. Um, if you're just looking on paper, goalie versus goalie. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to say that uh, Grubauer hasn't played in the postseason since that series loss to Vegas a couple years ago. Um, Georgiev has never done it, but Georgiev's coming off a great, great regular season. And, you know, we talked about health earlier. We've mentioned this. I've mentioned this time and time again on the podcast. It's looking like the Avalanche are going to have those five horses all healthy. Makar, Taves, Byram, Gerard, and Manson all healthy in the same game since Finland in early November. And that will help the goaltending, obviously. Indeed, indeed. I'm trying to think of what other advantages there might be out there for the Avalanche, but um, no, yeah, I, I think uh, I think we've broken it down pretty well. And Sunshine in our state. Yeah, we I guess you, you really just are, I think, counting on the immaturity of this team, right? Their inexperience come in playoffs just as a whole. I, I push back on that, though. I don't think they're – I think it feels like they're inexperienced because they are an expansion team. But, like, Vince Dunn has won a Stanley Cup. Justin Schultz has won a Stanley Cup. Jamie Alexiak has played in a Stanley Cup. Like, that's half their decor right there. Plus a lot of other guys who's obviously not healthy. Gord has won two Stanley cups. Philip Grubauer was with Washington Gord. Yeah. I forgot about Yanni. They have quite a few. They like most of their guys have playoff experience. It's just not in the, like uh, even Bjorkstrand, I think was on some of those good Columbus teams. Like most of those guys aren't coming in with zero playoff games. Jordan Eberle's last two years with the Islanders were both three rounds deep the two COVID years. Yeah. I guess the immaturity as a unit, right. And and as an experience better is a better word, but yeah, yeah. I I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, Jordan Eberle, you know, underrated playoff performer, 41 games in two years. He had nine goals and 16 assists. That's a guy that is pretty damn good. And the year before that he had nine and eight games. So um, yeah, I, I, I guess I never really thought that far ahead with this team. So that is a pretty interesting point. Should uh, I, and I'm thinking from a physicality standpoint, right? The physical side of the game always picks up in the playoffs. I don't think they have any real intimidating guys, which is a huge benefit for the Avalanche because that that I think is is tough. I know Arif, you'll push back on that, um, but I think that the Avalanche kind of it's, it's one of their Achilles' heels. So not having a real quote unquote tough guy. Um, to have to deal with, I think, is a nice little weight off the shoulders as well. They do have some big bodies on the blue line: Jamie Alexiak and Adam Larson, and um, Borgen. 
and Morgan. Oh yeah. Morgan's a behemoth. Um, the thing with Seattle, and this is something that I recognized in all three games this year, and especially the one that they played in Seattle, that, that was it shootout. Yeah. Shootout win where Nathan McKinnon scored. Um, Seattle plays you physical. Like they are on you. They're kind of like this bug that you try to shoo away and it won't go away. Like they, they really did give the avalanche fits. I think I heard Peter ask Miko a question about that today and said, Nathan had mentioned before that Seattle gives you guys some issues. So I'm guessing you got that from Nathan McKinnon, which is a thing like Seattle does play Colorado hard. Yeah. I expect no different too for the playoffs, but like you guys said, I, I, I don't expect the avalanche to let this one slip. I, I know Peter, you hate prediction time, <laughs> but we got to do it. So I'm going to, I'll start with mine. I'm, I'm going to go avalanche in five, just the weaponry that Colorado has. I don't, I think it's going to be too much for the, for the Kraken to deal with the goaltending, I think is the biggest key too. big differences in the, in the two goaltending matchups. So I'll got avalanche in five. I'm going to also go avalanche in five and I'm going to add the, uh, the extra point that they're going to have something that they only had once last year. And that's a one, one series heading into game three. I think Seattle will take probably game two. Uh, and then you're going to go on the road and win both there because you've won 11 straight on the road and come back here and close it out. I'll say absent six. I think Seattle extends this series a little bit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's five. I think there's going to be one or two games that go to overtime and, and it should be a fun series. Yeah. And the most important thing to remember is like, it's not supposed to always be four or five games in the first round. Like I know I can already tell like some listeners, if, if the avalanche have to go six or even seven are going to be like, God, they wasted so much energy and time on, on the wild card team. And what's that going to do? But again, like, Look at what Tampa Bay did last year with Toronto going seven. Look at the Nashville Predators in 2018 that had to freaking go to six games and fly one more time to Denver because of stupid JT conference, Ben Andragetto in game five overtime. Like there are so many things or not overtime, but late in the third, like there are so many things or so many series that go six or seven in the first round. It wouldn't be surprising if it does, and it's not by any means a failure if the Avalanche have to win in six or seven. Not to mention, I anticipate Minnesota Dallas to go pretty, yeah, that's pretty true. long. So, um, you know, it's not going to be too terrible if you end up going a little bit long in your series yourself. But I, I guess that could being we, said, could we, could we Minnesota do, or Dallas? Could, yeah, I was just going to say, could we do a quick, just like no thought prediction for every series, just to kind of get him out of the way? Uh, sure, make make Peter feel like he hates the segment even more, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, like we can start with Minnesota Dallas. Off the top of my head, um I'm gonna go on the limb and say Minnesota. I, I I like I like so many things about that team that it's so easy to predict Dallas because of Jason Robertson and Henson Pavelski that I think Kaprizov, who I believe is healthy now, right? Yes. Yeah, is is gonna take take offense to to the predictions that Dallas is gonna win the series. I'm gonna go Dallas in six. I say Minnesota seven. I'll go Jared. Dallas in six with Peter. All right, Edmonton, LA. Edmonton in God. five. Edmonton in six. I'm going LA in seven. Wow. Damn. I, I, I'm taking LA as my Stanley Cup pick. I just think they have what it takes. I do. To win? To win to, the cup or to no, make it to the final? To make it to the final, okay. to play Boston, and then Boston takes it. Um, Vegas, Winnipeg. Uh, Vegas in six. Vegas uh, in I five. Sh- I should have said five. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'll go. I think maybe six. I think Hellebuck maybe stands on his head. I, I think that series could be kind of interesting. Yeah. Winnipeg is just such a weird team right now. Like that could end with the coach and players duking it out on the bench, or it can end in harmony. Like you don't know what's happening there on any given day. Uh, moving to the East Coast, guys. New Jersey Devils, New York Rangers. New York Rangers in seven in the best series of the first round. Devils in six. Oh. Hey, I like it. I like it. I think the De- the Devils have been better all year. I think they have better players. I think they have more chemistry. Carolina Islanders. Oh, I want I want to pick the upset. I really do. You go first, Peter. Carolina <laughs> in we'll say seven. Yeah, that's gonna go long. That's gonna go long. I get Islanders in seven. <laughs> Toronto and Tampa Bay. Toronto in five. Book it, stamp it, take it to the sports books. Toronto in six. And then lastly, Boston, Florida. Boston in five. Boston in a sweep. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that's my sweep. I'll, I'll go yeah, Boston, Boston in four. Sweep. 
Dang, you guys are messed up. Who do you got, know. Toronto, Tampa? You didn't tell us. Uh, Toronto, and then uh, Rangers. I didn't tell you Devils and Rangers. What Toronto. about Boston? Uh, yeah, I got Boston for sure. Um, I guess I'll take them in six. I think Florida puts up a fight, but not enough of a fight. Um, Matthew Kachuk fight. Yeah, yeah, and then just to defend myself on the LA Kings thing, I mean, they they were close with Edmonton last year, right? They yeah. could have gone either I mean, way. Look, yeah, it, they, they very much could have gotten through Edmonton and then gotten through uh, Calgary and played the Avalanche in the third round. Like, And that's the, the real thing. difference maker for me is notable Avs killer Victor Arvidsson is in the lineup this year for LA where he was out for a lot that's of it last right. year. That's right. He wasn't um, there. Yeah. Big time, big time points. I think they've been building for a couple of years for this I moment. just, I just love Kopitar and Deneau as a one-two. Mm-hmm. Like... I, Do you know I think who I, I love more as a one too. <laughs> David and yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't talking from the series <laughs> point of view. I know Edmonton's going to win it, but like just just the way that team is built, one two with those two guys. Like, I think I mentioned this. You know, Nathan McKinnon was on the on podcast with Paul Bissonette. Uh, two years in a row, and the first year he was on it was the year before the Avalanche won the Cup, and he was asked who his who the hardest player to play against was this was September, 2021. So the year they won, like right before they won the cup. And he said, Phil Deneau. He he said, Deneau, this was when Deneau had just signed in LA had only been a Montreal Canadian that Nate would see like once a year, twice a year. And he said that the hardest guy to play against was Phil Deneau. And I just thought that was a fascinating answer. And it made me kind of reconsider my thoughts of the LA contract. And then seeing how he played in LA last year was holy shit like he's he's so good now indeed indeed i don't know about you guys but this is maybe the most intriguing playoffs i feel the nhl's had in a long long time and uh i'm super pumped you could smell the pom-poms already and i'm curious (laughs) to see how the uh seattle crowd shows up for playoffs because i i expect big things out of them yeah it'll be fun i i think it's gonna be a lot of fun down there Right Good on. Good cookies in the press box too. They, they're <laughs> just their entire snack spread out there. So, <laughs> Good lord, it's going to be a tough couple weeks. Yeah, I'm going to have to be careful. I'm going to pack protein bars and <laughs> not, not, not let it happen again like it did. Enjoy right on, guys. Well, everybody out there, <laughs> make sure you're following Arif and Peter for uh, any updates. They'll both be traveling and, uh, of course, covering all home games. Um, other than that, check out Superbook Sports. Make some money. You know, the Avalanche are going to do some good things, so might as well cash out on it. Um, Any closing thoughts from either of you guys as we head into the playoffs here and out of this podcast? I'm just excited. I'm ready to go. I can't wait. Should be fun. Right on. Well, that being said, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we out you.